0: So we are reading from Acts, and uh, the readings are split into two, so it's on page 1115 in the Bibles, and to put it in context, we're carrying on, following Paul on his missionary journey in Acts, he has just left a place called Corinth, and arrived at a city called Ephesus, and here's what happens. And we are starting at verse 8 and reading through to verse 20. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they had calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power.
1: Did you ever play that, that, that game, right? When you're at a pond or a little lake and um, you throw a stone in. What a fun game. You throw the stone in and, and, and like, it goes, wee, boom bum, bum, bum. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun that I thought I'd show as a video of what happens, in case you haven't played the game before. So we'll watch it. Ah. <sighs> a good, good, good. I'm going to see it in slow motion too, in case you missed it. Here we go. Boom. Boom. Look at those ripples go. Wow! Isn't that mesmerising? I could watch that over and over and over again. Wee! Wee! Amazing! Uh, And see, when the gospel reaches a place called Ephesus, the gospel is the good news of Jesus, well, it's kind of like a stone hitting the water. Uh, and, And it kind of ripples out, affecting the whole city, the whole of the culture... And the whole region. In fact, the gospel, the good news of Jesus causes such a stir that it start, it will start out with a man talking about Jesus in a synagogue ends up in a massive bonfire and a citywide riot. Whoa. Because our headline, our big main point for this morning, the gospel impacts the places it goes. The gospel, the good news of Jesus impacts the places it goes. And so let's see how we go from one man preaching to a huge riot as we go through. So we're going to need Bibles open on page uh, 1115, um, Acts 19. Because we're following Paul, uh, and as Camilla said, he's just gone from a place called Corinth over near Athens um, to Ephesus. There we go. And when he arrives at Ephesus, he does his usual thing, verse 8, his usual thing. Paul went to the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So he goes to the synagogue, and this is the stone-hitting-the-water moment. He starts talking about Jesus there, week in, week out, for three months, talking about Jesus. But, but, but as the stone hits the water, it ripples and disturbs things, just like in Ephesus, because the gospel kind of disturbs and unsettles people. Like like some of the Jews listening. Have a look at verse 9. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. See, the gospel impacts the places it goes. Not everyone responds positively. Uh, uh, And these Jewish guys are shouting abuse at Paul, heckling him, uh, uh, not not enjoying what he's saying because it's challenging to them. And so, what does Paul do? Verse 9. He left them. He says, bye. And he goes next door to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. um, Kind of like a university lecture hall, a place where where Greeks would go to debate the latest ideas. Paul goes there and had day discussions in that lecture hall. So so he goes on and starts talking more about Jesus over and over and over again. So that, did you see what happens in verse 10? This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's amazing. From one man preaching in a synagogue to a lecture hall, the gospel ripples out, and soon the whole region of Asia has heard about Jesus. That's extraordinary. The gospel impacts the places it goes in two and a bit years. Wow. But that's not the only extraordinary thing happening in Ephesus. Have a look at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill, and illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Wow! God's using um, Paul's used tissues to cure people. Yeah. You got a cold? <laughs> He's using his used tissues to cure people. Amazing miracles! Because the gospel impacts the places it goes, and you can imagine the kind of chat around Ephesus at the time. Hey. Have you heard of that guy, Paul? The Jesus man? Yeah. My aunt Muriel, she was touched by his handkerchief. Arthritis gone, she's jumping and walking around. Whoa! Like, the gospel causes such a ripple and stir throughout the whole city. And in fact, it causes such a stir that there are some who see God at work through Paul and they want that kind of power for themselves. For selfish purposes. And among them, we meet them in verse uh, verse 14, the seven sons of Sceva. Sounds like an awesome like, rock band name, but these guys are anything but awesome. They're sort of like traveling evil spirit removers. In fact, they would have been, um, well, here's some uh, junk mail from my house. Um, you know junk mail that comes to the door and it's always always the same, always like far too much colour, far too much information and it's on that paper that isn't paper and isn't plastic it's like some weird in between thing <laughs> I've got junk mail about distributing junk mail like well, who needs this kind of stuff and it always comes to the door and it's always pointless and pathetic right? and you're like I don't need to distribute junk mail, thank you <laughs> and see these seven sons of Sceva they would have been like the junk mail of Ephesus <laughs> You get their leaflet through the door, and it says, "We'll get rid of your demon, five ninety-nine with the leaflet." Because they'd go around and, and and cast out these demons and evil spirits, and, and looking for money and for fame. And so, when they hear of Paul and what God's doing through him, when they hear of real power, whoa. They're they're, they're, they're like, we want this, we want to do this, and so look at them in verse verse 15, they try and copy Paul, sorry, verse 13, they try to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who are demon possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The gospel impacts the places it goes so much that copycats start arising. And do you see what happened to them in verse 15? It's kind of funny. Um... They can't get up up to a demon possessed man who says to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? (laughs) Then, verse 16, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. (laughs) That's meant to make us shocker a little bit. But it's got a really serious point too. Jesus' name is not something to be played around with. These seven sons of Sceva didn't know Jesus for themselves. They were trying to use him for their own purposes. They, 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 they were trying to use him as a magic word. I mean, they called him the Jesus whom Paul preached. They didn't know him for themselves. And it doesn't work. And I wonder if, if we're quite similar sometimes. Do we try and use Jesus for our own purposes? Like maybe um, we come to him when we need something from him. Not because we love him. Or or, or do we try and use Jesus by by only coming to church when we're serving or leading or singing or doing something else in church, Uh, not just to be with his people and our God? So we need to learn to hold the name of Jesus in high honor and love him and not use him. (laughs) Because the seven sons of Sceva, they tried to use him and look what happened to them. They're running out of a house, naked and bleeding. (laughs) And yet... In Ephesus, the gospel impacts the places it goes so much that God uses this bizarre incident to ripple the gospel out even further. It's amazing. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord was held in high honor. See, they see these copycats who cannot do what Jesus can do. Like, seven sons of Sceva couldn't take on one demon-possessed man. But one Jesus took on a man with a thousand demons legion. (laughs) Like, they see that Jesus has power, that that that, that can't be copied, and can't be replicated, that he is awesome. And they're like, whoa. And that was just what Ephesus needed. We're going to do a little um, city quiz. I'm going to give you the nickname of a city, right, and give you three options. Uh, I'm going to see if you can work out which cities this nickname is for. Uh, Here's our first one. The Windy City. Is it A, Chicago, B, New York, or C, Florida? Hands up for Chicago. Oh, wow. Hands up for New York and Florida. Yay, Chicago, the windy city, lovely. Well, let's have a little clap. Thanks, Matt, for clapping yourself. Next one. um, The city of Seven Hills. Ooh, tricky one. Is it Amsterdam? Is it Rome? or Paris? Hands up for Amsterdam. That's quite flat. Uh, well, that for Rome? Yeah, it's Rome. Uh, oh, oh, whoops, I gave it away. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, third one, I won't give this one away. This one's, this one's a tricky one. Um, wine country. Is it A, Bordeaux, B, Bognor or C, Battle near Hastings? Hands up for Bordeaux. Hands up for Bognor yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> yeah, it's Bordeaux. Or Battle, yeah. It's Bordeaux. Um, but but he says nicknames kind of tell you a bit about the city, don't they? Like, Bordeaux makes lots of wine. Uh, Rome has seven hills around it. Chicago's windy. And if Ephesus had a nickname back in those days, it might have been the spiritual paradise. Because it was known for its superstitious beliefs, its, its fascination with the mystical arts and, and sorcery kind of stuff. And so, what does God do in that kind of place, in that kind of city? Well, he challenges that stuff right uh, at the front. He faces it head on and shows his power and his might is above all others. Because... The gospel is always the same. The good news that Jesus lived, died, rose again, and by believing in him, we have life forever in heaven. That's the gospel, always the same. But where the gospel confronts challenges uh, and bites with every culture, every person, every place is always different. The gospel is always the same. Where it confronts culture, places, and people is always different. Uh, See, uh, Howard Marshall said, in a situation where people were gripped by superstition, Perhaps the only way for Christianity to spread was by a demonstration that the power of Jesus was superior to that of the demons. God did exactly what Ephesus needed to, needed to see and hear. The gospel impacts the places it goes. Because these seven sons of Sceva would have been massive news. Everyone would have been talking about it, chatting all over the place about it. And so we get to verse 18, and look what happens. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. They counted the value um, of the scrolls. The total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The gospel impacts the places it goes. Amazing. Because... The whole city of Ephesus is kind of turned upside down by the gospel, isn't it? I love this. They make this massive bonfire and burn their, their, their scrolls because they realize they cannot have Jesus and magic. And so they throw their scrolls on this bonfire as a symbolizing them turning away from that stuff ah, and turning towards the living God. Wow. Because they've been changed by the gospel. The gospel impacts the places it goes. And it's costly for them too in Ephesus. 50,000 drachmas, uh, uh, Luke records. That's nearly five million pounds up in smoke. Ephesus is being transformed by this gospel stone hitting and rippling out. And I wonder, has the gospel had that kind of impact on our lives? Because it's when God's people are transformed by the gospel that things start rippling out and happening around us. So if we want to see our cities, uh, our families, our workplaces impacted by Jesus, well, has he changed us? Um, Has he had the same kind of impact it had on these Ephesians? That they burn their scrolls? I mean, what might burning scrolls look like in your life? Where are you trying to have an old life and a new life? Has the gospel impacted us first? And if it hasn't, well, one thing to do, um, read Ephesians. Uh, so Ephesians is in the Bible. It, it's a book, writ- a letter written to the Christians in Ephesus that we're reading about by Paul. Uh, and, and this book is amazing because the first three chapters talk about the mystery of the gospel. Oh, and it's beautiful. And the next three talk about how to live the gospel out. And those are beautiful too. So, so read that and get gripped with the beauty of this gospel. Let it impact you. Because it will impact the place around you too. The gospel impacts the places it goes. And we'll see how we move from bonfire to riot in a moment.
0: Part two. Uh, so we're now on page 1116. Um, we're going to read from verses 23 through to 29. And then we're going to skip about a bit and I'll tell you what to do when we get there. So beginning at verse 23, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. Now we move to verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Now we read from verses 35 all the way through to 41. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and and there are pro-councils. They can then press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly.
1: Um, This here, in case you can't see it, is buckaroo. And here's how the game works. Um, You get these fancy little plastic pieces of luggage and you put them onto the horse. Donkey, I think it's a donkey, uh, and you load him up, you fill him up with stuff. Uh, let's put that up there, lovely. Look at that. And, and 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 as you as you fill him up with loads of things, oh, eventually, oh, he kicks off and everything flies everywhere. He just kicks out and he goes wee all over the place, wee, um, and He kicks out. Um, we'll come to him in a minute. A minute. Oh, maybe we'll perch him precariously above the water. Because so far in Acts 19, we've had Paul preaching in a synagogue and then um, miracles with handkerchiefs. And we've had seven sons of Sceva running around naked. And we've had a big, big scroll bonfire. The gospel impacts the places it goes. And the city is being transformed. It's being changed. Their habits and the way they're living is being changed. But have a look what happens in Verse 23. About this time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's a name for Christians. As the gospel ripples out, things kick off like buckaroo. And everything just goes wild. And it starts off with a man called Demetrius. Great name, dodgy kind of guy. Uh, Have a look at verse 24. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. So he's like seeing all this stuff going on. He's seen the city um, changing and people and and this massive bonfire going up and uh, because that would have been big and public. And he's worried. He's concerned because, well, his wallet and his favorite goddess are under threat from this gospel. He doesn't like it. So what does he do? He gathers everyone together, all the tradesmen together, um, for a crisis meeting. you know, sort of picture him in a darkened pub with a little candle there as he starts talking about what's happening in the city. Verse 26, he says, You see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large number of people here in Ephesus and in the whole province of Asia. He says that God's made by human hands and no gods at all. There is danger. Not only that our trade... Uh, will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess will be discredited. He's worried about his wallet. He's worried about his goddess, Artemis. Because in Ephesus, right, Artemis was a big deal. She was like the Greek goddess of hunting and her like hometown was Ephesus. In Ephesus, there was a huge temple there to Artemis. They reckon it was about two and a half times longer than the White House. Like, this thing is massive, a monstrosity, and outside, Demetrius and his crew would sell little silver statues of Artemis, a bit like Eiffel Tower sellers in Paris, right? And people would make an absolute mint from this business. they bow down to their little statues and tourists would regret them and that kind of stuff. But Artemis is worried because the gospel impacts places it goes. And so Ephesus is changed and people are changing their habits. They're being changed by the gospel. They're realising that, that Artemis isn't a god. She's a piece of metal. And their habits are changing. Like, society is changing because of the gospel and changing for the better. And that's scary for Artemis. But, but I wonder, are we having that same kind of impact on our schools, in our workplaces? Are the people changing their habits because we're around? Like, do people stop swearing or, coarse course, joking because you're in the office? Or, or are you encouraging that kind of stuff? See, the gospel impacts the places it goes through God's people. So our, our workplaces, our schools, our families should be changed by us living out this gospel. And yet, when, gospel, when the gospel impacts a culture, not everyone's happy. Not everyone likes it because well, it causes disturbance like those ripples on a, on a pond. Uh, And Demetrius is not happy. He's fuming about this because it's getting close and personal to him. And so he reaches the climax of his speech in verse 27. You picture him like smashing the table with his fists, like shouting and screaming as he says, The goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Like smashing table kind of thing. And at that moment, things kick off like buckaroo. It goes crazy. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar. Ah, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions, and all of them rushed into the theater together. These tradesmen shouting in a darkened room cause a massive, like, uh, escalation of commotion, and people gather and start shouting. It's riot time in the city. It's a bit like um, the next January sales. You know, people everywhere, mayhem, shouting, fighting over, like, items of clothing, that kind of thing on a citywide level. Like, this is big. And they grab two of Paul's friends and drag them to the theatre. And things are so chaotic, so crazy. The gospel has caused such a stir that verse 32. The assembly's in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people didn't even know why they were there. Like, it's kind of funny that they're there just shouting and screaming. But it's also scary. Because to give you a kind of idea of the scale of of this thing, well, um, anyone know what this is? What stadium is it? Thomas, do you know Yes, yeah, the Amex, oh, he's on fire. And um, this is the Amex, at Brighton's home ground, in case you don't know. Uh, and the seagulls play there. And the, the, the attendance of the Amex um, is 30,666. That's its that's max capacity, right? But on, on an average Saturday, 25,000 people turn up to watch Brighton play, shouting, seagulls, come on, seagulls, all that kind of stuff. And the theatre in Ephesus would have held 25,000 people. A whole amex full of people crammed into a theatre shouting, great, it's artists of the Ephesians. This is scary. This riot at Ephesus is terrifying. The gospel impacts society and it confronts and challenges people and they don't like that. They don't like it at all. In Ephesus, we're kind of lucky that the city clerk, like, stands up. See, see God kind of quiets this whole thing down. Um, verse 35, the city clerk quietened the crowd. Uh, he says, verse 37, um, You have brought these men here, that they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. They're so basically saying, These guys are innocent! And then he says, If Demetrius, you have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls, so you can press charges. He, he basically says, Look, if you want to charge them with something, like, take them to a court. But, but they're innocent, but as far as I can tell. And so he says, verse 40, As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting. And somehow, this wild 25,000 strong crowd listened to him. uh, It must be God's hand at work there. And so verse 41, he dismissed the assembly. They all go, we can breathe. Gaius, the earth, are safe. But Ephesus has been hit by the gospel shockwave. And it's changed. That city turned it on its head. And there's some who love it and some who hate it. And I mean, wouldn't we love to see Brighton and Hove impacted by that same gospel? Wouldn't we love to see um, our workplaces, our schools, our families changed like Ephesus was, maybe minus the riots, right? Um, Wouldn't we love that? And see, we can see that happen. Because our God works mighty things through his less than mighty people. I mean, if he used... um, a moldy tissue in Ephesus, surely he can use Stephen in Hove, right? (laughs) Um, And how? Well, it starts with us being first changed by the gospel. So again, read Ephesians. If you want to be changed and gripped by the gospel, read Ephesians. But after that, how do we go about seeing this kind of change? Well, um, Tim Keller, he came came to um, England a few years ago, and he spoke to the British Parliament uh, talking about how culture needs Christians. And he said this amazing thing. He said, Christians won't benefit society if they're just like everyone else. He says, you need Christians living differently and distinctly like Christians, and society will start to change. Isn't that cool? Uh, And so how they live differently? Well, here's two really simple things we we can do. Number one, be known as a Christian. Like, the people where you are know that you're a Christian. They know what you do on Sundays. They know you love Jesus. And also, does it show? Like, does your life match up with what you say about Jesus? Maybe that's something you could do tomorrow. Tell everyone that you're a Christian. First thing you can do is to be known as a Christian. The second thing, um, well, actually, be known as a Christian. Paul and his crew, even the demons knew about Paul. Like the people where we work know about us. So be known as a Christian. And secondly, um, draw the line as a Christian. Because there will be, there'll come a time and a place when you'll have to say no as a Christian. When you have to say, I can't join in with you there because I'm a Christian. It might be swearing at school. It might be um, attitude to money at bonus time at work. It, may, it, it might be drinking at parties. There will be a time when you've got to draw the line and say no. Be bold to do that. Draw the line and be known as a Christian. And those are small things, uh, but also quite scary things, because as we stand up for the gospel, as we live out the gospel, well, it causes ripples, and people don't like that, so it's scary. So how do we find the courage to keep on going as a Christian? Well, we look to Jesus. Because this kind of gospel bravery, uh, well, it's living like Jesus, isn't it? I mean, did you notice how um, the Christians in Ephesus were treated just like Jesus in Jerusalem. Did you see that? See, Jesus, he challenged and confronted sin when he saw it, like Paul and the crew in Ephesus. Jesus, um, at his death, there was a huge mob whipped into a frenzied state of anger, just like in Ephesus. For Jesus, Pilate declared him innocent, not once, not twice, but three times, just like the city clerk in Ephesus, calling Paul and his crew innocent. See, gospel bravery is living like Jesus. Uh, And that's the key to how we can find the courage to do this too. See, the gospel impacts places it goes when God's people learn to live like Jesus. And so we look at him. Because in Ephesus, the rabble dispersed and and disappeared. But for Jesus in Jerusalem, the rabble took him all the way to a cross to die. He died. He died for his people, so that we can live bravely for him. See, he died so we can live bravely for him. I mean, think about it. As Jesus died on that cross, he said all who trust in him are guaranteed eternal life in beauty and perfection forever. Like, and if that's true, then we can endure stick at work, mockery at school, we can endure riots in Hove even, because of the future that awaits us. He died for us so we can live bravely for him. So, BH, let's see Brighton and Hove transformed by the gospel. Let's go out and see things change. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the gospel impacts the places it goes. Um, Father, if it hasn't yet impacted and changed us, then please, would you do that? And we ask, too, for the courage and bravery to live like Jesus, even when it's difficult, even when it means saying no to things. Lord, help us to be known as Christians, to draw the line as Christians, and to live as Christians. And Lord, would we see this city transformed by your gospel? Amen.